The text for this morning's worship service is from Psalm 124, which we just read together. And then the concentration will be especially on verse 8, that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 86 to stanzas 4 and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we hear the words, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, at the beginning of each and every worship service. Yet, what impact do these words have on you? Since they are the very first words of the worship service, we usually are not fully engaged in worship yet. Just prior to these words, we were chatting with our neighbor in the pew or looking around to see who is or who is not attending or we are reading the bulletin. Often there are still stragglers in the foyer standing by the doors looking for a seat and the ushers are still busy with them and with other things while the worship service has already begun. We are not right away in the mood for worship. It takes us a while to make the switch. And there are lots of other things going on still. There are lots of other things on our minds as well. It seems to many of us that these first words are not really that important anyway. All the important stuff comes later. However, these first words of the worship service should have our undivided attention. They are full of meaning and content, for they are beautiful words of confession, and they have a long history in the worship services. These first words are also known as the votum. It is a Latin word which originally referred to a wish or a prayer that you would use in order to make a vow. In the liturgy of the church, the votum gained a special meaning for the worship service. The votum contains the element of confession, and at the the same time it reminds us at the very beginning of the worship service of the kind of meeting that is about to take place. It sets the tone for what follows. We confess at the very beginning of the worship service that we are totally dependent on the Lord for everything. And that confession must be kept in mind throughout the whole worship service. What exactly are we confessing when we say that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? Well, that is what I will preach to you about this morning. The theme is the same as the first part of our text. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Then we will look at two things. First, we must know this truth as a certainty. Secondly, we must confess this truth with a firm confidence. Let me state that once again. Our help is in the name of the Lord. We must know this truth as a certainty. And secondly, we must confess this truth with a firm confidence. You will note that these two points remind us of question and answer 21 of Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, 
where true faith is defined. The Catechism says that true faith is not only a sure knowledge, whereby we accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word, but that at the same time it is a firm confidence that our God is the God of our salvation without any of us having to do anything for it. God has rescued us from all evil single-handedly. He did not require anyone's help. He did not require you or me or not even Abraham or Isaac or Paul or anyone else mentioned in the scriptures. He did not even need the angels. God alone is powerful. We must accept that as the truth. And so that's what we have to look at first. You have to have that sure knowledge. Only then can you confess it with a firm confidence. But now, how can we accept that? How do we know? How do you know, for example, that God is your help? Look at your own life. Essentially, it's not any different from unbelievers. You get car accidents just like they do. You're prone to illnesses just like they are. You also get cancer. You also get heart attacks. You also get diabetes. You have failures and triumphs like everyone else. Where is God's help in all this? Recently on the internet, I read the defense of an atheist concerning the non-existence of God. He says, praying to God is not any different than to praying to a bottle of milk. And so in your prayers, you can replace him with a bottle of milk. You can ask the bottle of milk to help you through surgery, for example. And when you pull through, then you can thank the bottle of milk for sparing your life. But when something goes wrong, then you can say about that bottle of milk that the bottle of milk meant it to discipline you. That bottle of milk is all wise, and that bottle knows what is best for you. And so this man gives all kinds of examples about how God is a figment of our imagination. According to this man, God doesn't do anything. He doesn't exist. And so... Once again, how do you know that God helps us? Where is the evidence? How would you answer that question? How has God helped you in your life? Well, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, how do you think you came into existence? How do you think this world came into existence? The theory of evolution is the most absurd explanation you can find to Explain this. Only an almighty God could create something so beautiful, so intricate, so complex, and yet so simple. And this creation alone is a testimony to his greatness. You are a testimony to his greatness. Congregation, Satan is the father of lies. He put the lie on the lips of man in his attempt to take away from God's greatness and to twist his words. Satan wants to destroy God's creation. He wants to destroy you. 
and he uses men such as the atheist on the internet to sow doubt in man's minds. Psalm 124 is a psalm of David. We do not know what specific situation prompted David to write this psalm. During David's days, there were many people who desired Israel's downfall. He experienced that himself in many ways. For example, twice during his reign, the Philistines attacked Jerusalem. But the Lord God rescued them. The enemy did not prevail over them. Perhaps David, as he wrote this psalm, was thinking of those times. It is more likely, however, that David had Israel's general situation as God's nation in mind. He knows how Satan and his followers hate God and his people. And that was the case throughout their history. Do you know why? They hate him because God claims that he is the only true God. He claims that he alone has all the answers. And that therefore he alone must be worshipped. That outside of him there is no truth. The heathens had all kinds of gods. They wanted the God of Israel to be also part of that collection of gods. They wanted the God of Israel to be on the same level as the gods of the heathen nations. For then they could have a God whom they could manipulate. A God whom they could serve in their own manner. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is that not the same way today as well? The world does not want the real truth. It only accepts a so-called truth that serves themselves. Truth, therefore, is only what you make it for yourself. For example, just like unbelievers, out of convenience, will deny the existence of God, so will they deny the existence of a child in the womb. And so they abort that child. They want to go on with their own selfish lives without any encumbrances. And so they pretend that the life in the womb is not a life. It doesn't exist. Fallen man is totally self-serving. And therefore he does not want to accept God's truth. And therefore he does not want to accept that the God of the Bible truly exists. For God's laws run counter to man's laws. If you accept him, then you also accept his laws. And so they hate God. And they hate God's people. They want to destroy them. That's the way it has been ever since the fall into sin. In paradise already, the enmity started between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil. Satan has been out from the very beginning to destroy God's people. He did not want the Christ to be born. He wanted to destroy the seed of the woman. And so Satan used Cain to slay Abel. He also used the heathen nations to try to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. And David knew that. He experienced that. And it is in that situation that David elicits God's help. He calls upon Israel to remember how God has helped them through the years. He has preserved them. 
the heading of the psalm says that it is a psalm of ascents. In other words, it is a pilgrim psalm. It belongs to the collection of songs that the people would sing as they made their way to the temple to celebrate the various yearly feasts. The people would come from all over Israel and make their way to Jerusalem. And these psalms were likely chosen already when they were still in exile. And so they sang them as they went from Babylon to Jerusalem. Later they sang these same psalms as they came from their towns and villages to make their sacrifices at the temple of Jerusalem. They would sing these songs to remind them of how God has been with them through it all. In this psalm, David compares Israel's enemies to a pack of wild animals. For in verse 3, he speaks about being swallowed alive, and in verse 6, about being torn by their teeth. And in verse 4 and 5, he compares the enemy to a flood, to a torrent, and to raging waters. Here in Alberta, we know all about the raging waters. We experience them, especially in the springtime and early summer, Little streams become swollen rivers. Calm rivers give way to rushing waters. Small waterfalls become churning and angry whirlpools. Whereas in the late summer you can swim in some of those waters, you would not even think of it earlier in the year. Those waters are dangerous, especially when they overflow their banks as they sweep away everything in their path. Israel knew what it was like to be swept away by the enemies like that. Think about what happened to them in the exile. They were swept along with the masses as the foreign armies herded them out of the country. Some of them didn't even make it. They were killed. Others who did make it to Babylon became part of that raging river. They went along with the stream that represented Babylon. They became part of that heathen culture. Rather than going against the current of heathen practices, they succumbed. A remnant, however, withstood the rage of the enemy. They went against the stream. And now they sing this psalm on the way back to rejoice that they have escaped. They stood fast in the midst of a world that wanted to destroy them or to make them part of their heathen world. But... How is it possible that this remnant did not fall for the clever schemes of the devil? How come they did not go along with the rest? How did they escape from it all? Ultimately, it was only because the Lord God was with them. He is the one who made it possible. And that is what they acknowledge here in this psalm. With this psalm, they acknowledge that the Lord God, in his appointed time, was the one who stopped the raging waters. He made Babylon lose its grip. The Lord God is the one who shut the mouth of the wild animals. He rescued them. It was all God's doing. And he is the one who led them safely back into the promised land. And those pilgrims saw God's hand in their rescue, and rightly so. In verse 7, David says that they escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. Such a snare is like a hinged trap. 
The bottom part of the trap would have bait in it for the bird, and the top part of the trap would be open. As soon as the bird would land on the bait, the trap would shut. God's people are so much like that bird in that regard. They easily take the devil's bait. Look at Israel. It was always her fault that their enemies so often gained the upper hand. For what did Israel do? They served their gods. They gave in to the temptations that their superficial worship offered them. They went along with their world. Time and again they forgot about the God of their fathers, the creator of heaven and earth. And then the invading armies would conquer them. However, those armies did not win because they were stronger, because they had more power. They did not win either because they had greater resources at their disposal. No, they won only because God's people were sinners. And those armies won because Israel had joined the enemy by doing the same things as their enemies did and by serving the same gods. As a result, God's people were weak. It is no wonder that God gave them over to their enemies. He did that so that they would once again turn to him for help. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, where do you think you would be today without God? How often do we not fall into the trap that Satan has set for us? In so many ways, we serve the gods of this world. We idolize what the world idolizes. We repeatedly compromise on our Christian principles. We often conduct business in the same ungodly way that the world conducts business. We put our trust in the banks and in the stock markets and in our businesses and in our jobs Rather than putting our trust first in God, we are anxious about the future, even though God promises to look after us. We fall into the same temptations of the same sins as the world. We love our worldly entertainment. We fall into the trap of pornography. We fall into the trap of materialism. And so the list can go on and on. And then Satan says, gotcha. You are mine. And then it is God who once again who rescues us. He rescues us from the snare and he disentangles us. How wonderful. For here you are in this church building as part of God's people Think about the things that you have done in your life. Think about the things that have happened to you. Yet here you are in this church building to acknowledge that you want God to be number one in your life. To acknowledge that he is the one who rescued you. It is only because of his grace that you are here to do that. Look at all the trouble you and I have been in our life. And the trouble that we continue to be in. The same sins of the world we also have committed. Think about the sins of your youth. Think about the other things you have done and continue to do in your life.
the things you do in secret. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are in big trouble. And we feel the effects of sin all around us. We all possess decaying bodies. We need healing. We sin against our loved ones over and over and do damage to our relationships. We haven't succumbed to habits that ensnare us. Yet God has saved you from all that. Every time he brings you back to him and he makes you part of his sheepfold once again. He has come to you with his Holy Spirit. Because you have asked for the forgiveness of sins, he washes you in the blood of of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And he rekindles that gift of faith. The Lord your God is your help. He is my help. As the people made their way to Jerusalem, they sang these psalms with gusto. No wonder. In spite of all the things that happened to them, God has rescued them. He opened the way to Jerusalem for them. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in less than a month we will be celebrating Christmas. We will celebrate the fact that the Lord God kept the road to Bethlehem open. In spite of evil, Christ was born. The Old Testament believer had great hope, and that hope did not disappoint them, for the Christ was born. But now we have an even greater hope, for now we live after the birth of Christ. The Lord God has opened up the way for you and for me through Jesus Christ He has opened up the way for you and for me to eternal life. And the Lord Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of God to intercede for you, to pray for you, and to encourage you. He gives you his Holy Spirit to guide you. And that is what we confess as God's people. And that is what we confess every time we start a worship service. Our help is in the name of the Lord. We come to the second point, namely that we must confess this truth with a firm confidence. With the words that our help is in the name of the Lord, we acknowledge our past and our future. We acknowledge the fact that throughout our whole life, we are totally dependent on God. That is why we also start a worship service in that way. Before we even start a worship service, we confess that we have no strength of our own, that we are totally dependent on God. It is a confession that should be stated not only by the minister on behalf of the people, but by the people themselves in unison. It is your confession. And that is why before the worship service even starts, you should be preparing yourself so that you can be in the right mind of worship. And that is why you should be on time here in this church building. We have to confess that we need God's help in everything we do and we say. There is no way that God's people could have rescued themselves from Babylon. It was God's doing. And that is why at the end of this psalm we hear the confession, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. These words have in mind the past and the future. 
If we want things to go well in our lives, then we need the help of the Lord. And He can help. And He does help. He is the Almighty God who created everything. And He is just as powerful now as He ever was. When He spoke, it came to be. That's how powerful His Word is. Don't doubt God's power, brothers and sisters. Whatever the future may bring us, our strong and mighty God is leading us. It's a beautiful confession. Satan puts all kinds of stumbling blocks on your way. When the Israelites returned to their own country, there were all kinds of people who tried to make life difficult for them. The Samaritans and others who settled in their land did not want them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They did not want them to rebuild the temple either. They put up all kinds of stumbling blocks. The people themselves also needed to be goaded and prodded into doing the right thing, for many wanted to succumb to and resist the the pressure to do what God required from them. They didn't want to put in the effort. They did not want to give of their money for the building project. They did not want to give of their labor either. They just wanted to be left alone. They wanted to follow the desires of the flesh. They once again wanted to do their own thing. And so God used men such as Nehemiah and others to remind them that they are totally dependent on the Lord and that therefore they must use their God-given resources for the furtherance of God's kingdom. For all those resources that they have were a gift from God. There are also all kinds of ways that Satan tries to get us off course. He uses every means at his disposal. He uses our enemies, and he also uses our own sinful and weak nature. He wants to drive you away. Satan wants to drive you away from God and his people in every way that he can. And for that reason, we have to elicit God's help. And where do you find God's help? Well, you find it especially in the scriptures. You find it in God's word. God shows you in his word how you ought to conduct yourself in every situation in life. Because you know God's word, you know how he wants you to live. That is why it is so important to know God's word, to read it, and to meditate on it, to study God's word, and to study the confessions based on God's word. You have to know it, for in this way God can be your help. And now you know his commandments, and you know his will. And you also know what he has promised to to those who do their utmost to keep his commandments. He promises to preserve you to the end of days. That he will be your help throughout your whole life. He will be with you to the end of time. That, beloved, is the great confidence you may have. And that is the confidence with which you must also confess that your help is in the name of the Lord. For God has proven that he is the help of his people many times in the past. It is a blessing 
that we may start off the worship service in the knowledge that our help is in the name of the Lord. Those words should be engraved on our minds. They should be engraved in our minds not only during the worship service, but also during the rest of the week. Every time we are tempted to look for earthly solutions to get out of a tight spot, we must be reminded that our help is in the name of the Lord. Every time we are discouraged because we get some bad news about our health or about other things that are happening in our lives, and then we may be reminded that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that is why that confession should be the personal confession of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us should say it so that it will make an impact on us. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. He is our help throughout all situations in life. That is our everlasting comfort. Amen.